Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and today I've got a very special guest, Corey Bowen. Corey has led the set design for the Ikoria, Zendikar, Kaldheim, Strixhaven, uh, Midnight Hunt, Crimson Vow, Commander Precons. So a long history of working on Commander Precons. Uh, Corey is also doing the upcoming Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Commander Precons. And Corey is the current representative for Black in the Council of Colors within Wizards of the Coast's Studio X. Welcome to the show, Corey. Hi, Nick. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking all about Black in Commander, its strengths, its weaknesses, its power level relative to the other colors, and how Wizards is working to balance the color within the limits of the modern color pie. Uh, before we get into the topic of Black and Commander, can you tell me what it means to be the Black representative on the Council of Colors? What is the Council and what are your responsibilities? So the Color Council is a team of game designers who work on Magic the Gathering. And we get together and we kind of safeguard or you know have our eyes on how the color pie is doing. Um not every designer is super in tune with the color pie and kind of the role of a game designer is to push boundaries in mechanics and designs. And that ends up kind of pushing what colors can do. So a lot of, you know, you're working on a set, let's say I'm working on Innistrad and things are super black because Innistrad is very gothic, very dark, and people are making red cards that work with the graveyard or white cards that work with the graveyard. It's like, oh, maybe those are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Well, our team kind of swoops in and says, we, we, well, we review all the cards and uh, we kind of keep everyone from getting too out of bounds. And so every single set, um, we'll get together and we will look at the mechanics and say, hey, here's some red flags that we're considering. And then every so-and-so, we will uh, look at all the cards and kind of advise, hey, we think these could be done differently. We think these are problem areas and we'll work together uh, with the set leads to find solutions. Um, So in some sense, that kind of sounds like we're guardians or we're safeguarding or like the lawyers of the color pie. But kind of our primary role besides these checkups is just to be a resource and a font of knowledge for cooperation and talking to people and talking through what can we do? What are different opportunities? So if someone came up to me and was like, hey, Corey, uh, I have this uh, spell that needs to uh, break an enchantment, you know, like enchantment destruction, pretty new on black. What are the bounds? And I, I'll help work with them to achieve kind of the card that they're trying to get to. Gotcha. So how do you feel about black's power level in formats other than Commander? The way I look at black in most formats. I mean, historically, in older formats, Black has a lot of pretty busted cards, right? And then in Standard, I don't think there's ever been a time where, or not many times, where Black's been like on the back foot. I think out of all of the colors, Black has been one of the more consistent uh, power-leveled colors. Um, And part of that is kind of behind Black's philosophy of kind of being able to access most, if not all effects, it can like access most effects for some sort of other resource cost, which feels super heavy black. Um, and then that, that kind of structure, that system keeps it from having that many weaknesses, um, but also doesn't have 
that many strengths because there's other colors that can do what it's doing without the backlash. How do the rules of commander affect Black's strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, commander. uh, That's a very interesting question. There's a lot about commander that warp Black's strengths and weaknesses. Um, Primarily, let's start with life total, right? Everyone starts with a higher life total. There are many, many Black cards that give you power at a cost of your life. And when you're paying one life, In a standard game or a modern game, that's 1 20th of your life. That's how much it matters. Well, in Commander, it's 1 40th of your life. So it's a smaller cost and the games are longer. And that's life that you can pay more and more and more of. So life costs are easier to pay. Uh, Secondarily, um, graveyards. You know, in Commander games, the game is longer. In longer games, you tend to have more graveyard filling things go into the graveyard over time and black has the highest interaction with the graveyard and so in longer games with commander as the graveyard is fuller and fuller uh it just gets to take advantage of that that kind of stuff commander is also very high on big dream potential and like having ceilings that are very open and you know cards that uh have like a high potential and often a great way to make a card with uh, unlimited potential is to key off the graveyard, which could have an incredible variant amount of cards. So black just gets to have more splashy cards reading off the graveyard. And then the third thing real quick to mention, um, a lot of times there are black cards that will key off of creatures dying. Um, and in commander, there is uh, twice the amount of players, thus twice the amount of creatures that are played and dying, etc., etc. So really black is just kind of leveraging at every angle to be stronger um also earlier i touched upon how black had some really busted cards in the past like so black has some older cards in the past that are not really in its color pie any longer stuff like cabal coffers or cryptovagadine like these are just lands that are singularly powerful and we don't print a lot of these nowadays um especially not stuff that we want to be very competitive in the current environments but uh with black having some older cards that are just quite strong, Commander being an internal format gets to pull that power level forward with newer philosophies. So from all those angles, Black kind of just gets away with having a ton of utility in this format. You, you mentioned a couple times like small ways in which Black's color pie has changed in recent years. What are some of the major changes we've seen? And uh, are there any changes you're looking for in the future that maybe haven't seen print yet? Yeah, black color pie. I feel like we we just uh, we just did a presentation on this. Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, the loudest one, I think, you know, when there's a change to what a color can interact with, that's kind of a loud change. And so, enchantment removal certainly something that we are uh, fiddling with, figuring out a little bit, trying to find the funnest cards to do so. And um, feed the swarm, I think, is our current best example of a really fun uh black enchantment removal card so that's that's one of the things is it's enchantment destruction you know it was deemed that in limited or in other formats if you're in an enchantment environment and there's only you know there's two colors that can't deal with enchantments in a heavy enchantment format maybe i'm playing red black and i just feel like i have such low agency to fight against those decks so giving Black and Avenue for enchantment destruction was more of like finding a way, you know, we don't want it to be stronger or equivalent strength to green and white enchantment destruction. 
It's more of just trying to find a uh, a way for people playing black or other colors to have some options and some agency against it. Um, other than that, you know, some of the stuff that black's been doing recently that's been more new has been stuff that doesn't feel new to black. It's just stuff that we've been expanding upon. And with this, I'm talking about like Gaunti effects, you know, casting spells from my opponents or, you know, exiling spells from my opponent's library and then casting them. That stuff, I think, you know, has, has felt black. It's been on, um, Crater's Grasp, etc. Um, and it's just stuff we've been using a little bit more, um, in multiplayer game, like in commander focused game stuff, usually, uh, Although it's been really hard to play those on spell table, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Right, and then we've been messing a little bit with casting stuff with life instead of mana, with like Bolas's Citadel, maybe a few other cards that whose names elude me because the names change all the time in my world. Um, sure. Yeah, we saw one of those in the um, Strixhaven Commander decks. I know what you're talking about. Right, exactly. Um, moving forward, I would say that, you know, as I said earlier, Black is in a pretty stable place. Kind of the biggest threat to the... <laughs> this is going to sound very melodramatic. The biggest threat to the sanctity of the color pie that Black poses is mostly that over time, I think all of the colors have ways to breach into Black space and bleed into Black space. You know, we're giving white more reanimation, for example. We're kind of blurring the lines on which colors care about artifacts in the graveyard. Um, you know, black in the, in some sets, some recent standard sets like Zendikar Rising and even Kaladesh, although the, some people won't call that recent, but black in those sets have been caring a little bit about plus one, plus one counters, which it doesn't usually do, um, and it feels agnostic enough for it to do. Um, and in Strixhaven, there was a white-black counters kind of sub-theme. And in that sense, these are more examples of um, black is a very broad color. And it, it has so much to do. And the more we make sets where different colors get to bleed into different mechanics, the less individual black will get because it will just be doing more and more of everything. And I think that is kind of the biggest threat, especially with people interacting with the graveyard. I think that's kind of the thing we need to think about long-term is, you know, really how should things be interacting with the graveyard and should we be more, more stalwart on safeguarding certain colors interacting in certain ways. And certainly that's stuff we've talked about, particularly this, this year. Yeah. It's interesting. We've, you know, we've had conversations with some of the other members of the council of colors and like one thing that kind of came up when we were talking about uh, white card draw is uh, I, I think you guys have had some internal discussions about like card draw is is just kind of central to commander because the games go longer and that mm -hmm. led to this this sort of bend or, or this this shift in white design space um, and and you mentioned earlier that like you know graveyards become a little bit more important in these long commander games do you think it makes sense to sort of view the the graveyard as a resource that all colors can touch or are you trying to or are you you know more protective of this unique black space i think the graveyard is it's a fun it's a fun zone right like you know 
I'm, I'm the black color pie account, so I know more than anyone else that the graveyard is fine, okay, right? So um, I think that color should be able to use it, but we should kind of have some harder dynamics of what's going on. Um, for example, like black should be great at filling the graveyard and it should be great at getting stuff out of the graveyard. In artifact-centric sets, I think black should regrow some artifacts. In enchantment-centric sets, I would be totally happy if black was regrowing some enchantments because, you know, if I'm building an enchantment deck in my Theros deck, limited deck or whatever, you know, I'm looking for something that's going to interact with enchantments in the graveyard. Well, you know, I want the player, when they want to go and find a card that interacts with the graveyard to have something in black. That is important to me. So black, I think, should be something that can kind of do it all. But uh, I think white has a different identity for graveyard. I think it's fun that white gets reanimation spells, zombifies. I think it's fun that white can also zombify artifacts and enchantments. And I think it would be great if black, you know, did less of zombifying directly non-creature permanents and if black stick with creatures um, and then white got that space and there's also this interesting thing where white could be great at getting things out of the graveyard but it's really really poor at putting things in the graveyard and so that's another fun dynamic of differentiation like a mono white reanimator deck is going to look very different than a mono black reanimator deck and i think that's really cool um, and then you have stuff like blue. Well, blue also has self-mill. And so blue has this thing where it's really good at putting things in the graveyard, but it's not that good of, about getting things out of the graveyard. Um, blue can get instants and sorceries out of the graveyard, which is great because the other colors that I mentioned so far aren't doing that. Um, but that's just another good profile. Oh, I'm great at putting stuff in, and I'm only good at like only regrowing instants and sorceries. Um, so I love that as a different profile. And then, so, you know, green and red, they have their own kind of different profiles where red is kind, you know, red is good at putting stuff in. It's red has been good at taking stuff out in the past with trash for treasure type stuff. But I, I think right now where the color pie stands in internally, we're like thinking a bit about red being a color that doesn't want to think ahead too much, doesn't want to do too much planning. So we're thinking about red as a color that doesn't interact like set up with the, its graveyard and then right. get the value later. Right. We're, we're thinking of red as a color that doesn't do that as often. I think we still like, you know, temporary reanimation type stuff, but uh, really planning stuff. I don't know. You know, Underworld Breach, I think, was a problem for red. I think that mm -hmm. just wasn't a very palpable red card. But you can see where I'm going with... Uh, I think other colors can certainly work in the graveyard. I think black is king, you know, and other colors can be king at some things like reanimating non-creatures. Uh, but colors having different profiles, super fun, love it a lot. And also black being the main thing that is getting creatures and stuff out of my opponent's graveyards. You know, that's awesome too. Awesome. Uh, I want to touch on a couple specific mechanical areas in black. Um, so I, to start, um, you mentioned Feed the Swarm as an example of like the, the current strongest enchantment removal we've seen so far in Black. And I'm wondering how the positive community response to Feed the Swarm shapes future design for Black enchantment removal. Um, so it sees a ton of adoption in Commander, 
and I'm wondering like sort of uh, and, and of course like sort of future entries in that this space like Farika's Libation or Meyer and Misery weren't on the same power level and also didn't really uh, catch on nearly as much so do you see Feed the Swarm as sort of the high watermark or do you think there's opportunities to expand or to go beyond that in terms of the power level of these black enchantment removal effects? I think that there's a little space to go, but not in like, oh, I must make a stronger card, but in just like, there's different space that could be stronger in different scenarios. Myron Misery, Freakus Libation, I think where they failed was that they just weren't reliable. Mm-hmm. And they were modal as well, but they weren't reliable modally as either. And so what, what Feed the Swarm has is, you know, you want something dead, you're you're gonna get it. Um, you have a cost to pay, you know, pay it. And that feels black, feels awesome. Uh, with the edicts, like those two other cards, um, it's just not that reliable. And Myron Misery, that's the one where it's like sacrifices a creature or an enchantment, right? Yeah, I think it might be Exile. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just to... yeah, that one, I think, you know, this does something that I like, which is it hits every opponent. I think for Edicts, that's important in Commander um, to hit every opponent to kind of get your card's worth. But it's just too it's too hard to break an enchantment with Mire Misery. And then with Freak's Libation, I think the, the problem with Libation is that it doesn't hit every opponent. If, if Fruca's Libation could say each opponent sacrifices sacrifices an enchantment or each one sacrifices a creature, I think it would be more playable. But it's not. And so it's also just unreliable in that sense where it feels like a bad disenchant. And you, what you get on the other side is not the same as what you're getting because a, a creature edict just feels worse than an enchantment edict because your opponents, especially in Commander, more often have more creatures than enchantments. So Feed the Swarm is great. It is a single target. You know, you can get what you want to get. It's reliable. If there's not an enchantment to break, the front side, killing a creature, is still kind of worth the card. Um, Is there space to go? Yes. I think there's space to go. Mind you that in a given environment, we really, really, really want black enchantment destruction to be kind of significantly worse than uh, the green and white ones. Um, that just, it matters to us a lot. We just want this to be an option. If you notice all these cards, they're modal, right? They have another option. And Baleful Beholder from AFR was also another shot at making kind of a decent card in the space. That's the six mana, six five. When it enters, you can choose to have each opponent sacrifice an enchantment or your creatures gain menace. So this is another card where giving your creatures menace is pretty good on certain board states. And each opponent sacrificing enchantment is pretty good. Now, this one doesn't see as much play in Commander because it's a six-mana creature that doesn't really answer the enchantments very swiftly. But uh, I think it's kind of the space I like. And, and I think there's more space to go. You know, I think, like, I think about the places to add enchantment destruction are, I think, on modal spells where the front side is doing something stronger. So I think about, like, a Bone Splinters, right? Like, what if a Bone Splinters could also hit an enchantment? You know, you're casting the card a lot of the time to kill a creature, but hey, sometimes you'll kill an enchantment, and the card's weaker when you kill an enchantment, but, you know, having that modality, I think, really helps the agency of the color. Interesting, yeah. That's exciting to see. I, definitely, I'm a huge fan of Feed the Swarm, so, you know, more 
targeted type removal is is pretty exciting. This is kind of also related to enchantments, but um, wanted to get your some more information on it. Uh, in Mark Rosewater's Mechanical Color Pie 2021, he mentioned that black was now tertiary in caring about enchantments um, in sets with an enchantment theme or sub theme. So, what does it look like when black cares about enchantments? Yeah, so uh, I think this was mainly you know born out of a few cards. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll be the first one to say that, you know, I love Blightcaster. Blightcaster from some core set, maybe it's like M15 or something, around when I started actually playing the game. Um, it's whenever you cast an enchantment, you get something minus two, minus two. It might be whenever you cast an aura. I don't I don't totally remember the card, but to me, like, when I was learning the game and learning what colors did, I read that card and, you know, I thought to myself, oh, you know, I guess black can sometimes care about enchantments. The time goes on, and Theros comes out, and Doomwake Giant exists. It's a constellation card. When enchantments enter, your opponent's creatures get minus one, minus one. So there's a few other constellation cards, but that one's kind of the king of them. Um, and so in my brain, you know, I think, oh, you know, I guess black can care about enchantments a little bit when the theme is right. And then time goes on, and uh, Commander 25. 2015, I think, comes out, and it's uh, there's a black-white enchantment deck with Daxos the Returned. I think to myself, oh, I guess I guess black can care about enchantments sometimes. Um, and then we're making Theros beyond death, and you know we're thinking about different ways that black can interact, and we're thinking about you know a set that is not yet to be revealed. A set in the future where the cards are not yet revealed where maybe black wants to care about enchantments and it just kind of makes sense black as a whole color to be honest is very carried by theme um rather than mechanic play uh black as a color had i think it has kind of the most flavor inherently attached to it with all the evilness or the narrative wells and so whenever there's a theme to do something in black for a black way it kind of just fits really naturally. You know, I made um, Lind, that one Grixis curse commander. Uh, and I totally thought like, yeah, you know, curses are totally black. Those are enchantments. You know, that's a black enchantment. Um, but you, you know, you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't expect black to care about auras. But if I describe to you what curses are, you're like, yeah, that sounds black to me. So, you know, I, I just think, when, when it's thematic, black will care about enchantments, and it trust me, it's just it's going to make sense. Okay, all right, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take your word for it on that. Um, you another thing that was mentioned in the mechanical color pie article was um, black being primary in casting spells from the graveyard. Uh, what sort of restrictions are there for this design space in black? And is Yogmoth's will still within black's color pie? Yeah, I think that. So it's kind of tricky, right? Because, like, I think when we talk about Yogmoth's will, you know, Gaia's will, that was in MH2, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, you know, I worked on MH2 a little bit, but I don't remember if all the cards made it through, so I have to ask myself. Um, yeah, so green is in this weird space with the graveyard where green gets to regrow everything. And so you look at a card like Yogmoth's will, and you're like, hey, this, is, uh, this regrows everything if I can cast it isn't that kind of green? Like, oh, they found me out, you know? Um, <laughs> so the, the idea, there's kind of two categories on how something can interact with the graveyard, and there's some sub stuff, but 
can it regrow? So can it return something to my hand? And can it get something for free? And so if I am targeting a card and giving it flashback until end of turn, I am basically just regrowing it, right? I'm, I'm returning it to my hand if I were to cast it this turn, which I likely am. Mm-hmm. And if I'm casting something in my graveyard for free, I am basically just zombifying it. I'm putting it onto the battlefield or whatever. And so those are kind of synonymous. Um, so uh, if, you know, black is primary in casting stuff from the graveyard, uh, similarly, how is primary in zombifying stuff? Um, if there was a set with flashback, which obviously there are many sets are, uh, you know, black is one of the colors that could probably be like, hey, I like flashback stuff. Obviously, we make blue like flashback stuff too, because um, it needs some stuff to do. But uh, if there is power in mechanics that are from the graveyard, black wants a piece of that pie. Um, you're right that there's no cards that explicitly cast stuff from the graveyard very recently. Um, but that is just kind of a shorthand for reanimating or casting spells or whatever. Uh, so so then what, what, are, what are the restrictions? Uh, black can zombify creatures from your graveyard. It can regrow creatures, artifacts, enchantments, planeswalkers. Artifact enchantments are on thematic pens. Um, also, it can zombify planeswalkers. Uh, technically, I think black could do lands, but we're, you know, we'd like to have that space more in green. Uh, black can also cast mm, spells from the opponent's graveyard, and I think more often it can cast, uh, like, cast spells from your opponent's graveyard. Although casting mm. instants and sorceries are is more of a blue and red thing, but I wouldn't veto a card that casts into sorcery for my opponent's graveyard. Um, this is a lot of words to say that I treat casting from the graveyard almost the exact same as regrowing and zombifying. Okay. That makes sense. I wanted to ask a bit about, um, uh, well, what effects within black's color pie are the most challenging to fit into standard legal sets? Uh, is there anything that you think might help out Commander that is just hard to find room for in, in most of Magic's releases? I have actually struggled with the enchantment removal thing mm-hmm. um, ever since Feed the Swarm and Libation and whatever. Uh, I kind of like, whenever I do a color pass on a set, I, I look for opportunities of removal spells that can have them kind of a modal part to them where it destroys enchantment or edicts enchantments or does something like that. Um, but it's not something that will naturally uh, drop in files. I don't, I just think people aren't used to it and you want to make cleaner cards. Uh, but I do think that, you know, uncommon removal spells are kind of around the place that we want to be making those enchantment destruction modes. They're just, hard to fit into files like you'll have you know some sort of removal spell that's super on theme for the world and it kind of like doesn't make sense for it to break enchantments or something like that or just a spell that is already complicated enough it doesn't need this enchantment mode um as far as like what i think black needs in commander i truly don't think black is hurting in commander you know i i just think it's great it's a great color. It's pretty highly played. I think it's 
it's it's one of the top played you know blue green people are like oh blue green so played it's like yeah well like i think black is either a close third or just like secretly up there with them or maybe not so secretly um i think black's in a good space because you just don't hear people complain about it like mm -hmm. you know people talk so much about how green gets all this color pie or like green gets pushed cards or whatever and and of course like White has been like a redheaded stepchild for a little while, and that's starting to change recently. But I think Black is, I agree with you, I think Black is just in a good place that, um, you know, most people are, are happy with it. There aren't any loud complaints about how it has been playing for, for a long time. Yeah, and we've, we've been finding new stuff to do. Speaking of like the Gaunti space and the life paying space, Obviously, we shouldn't overuse the Gonti space. It gets kind of crowded. But uh, we have been finding some, some newer stuff to do. And, and Black's been doing some some other other pizzazz. So I don't really think it's hurting Commander. And I, as, as a council member, I'm kind of just making sure things are on the right rails. And, you know, you know I design primarily for Commander. So I'm always thinking about what, what new stuff I can do. And... If I think of something new, I would be telling you, but uh, <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, one thing that was that's relatively newer is treasure. Like treasure is in a really, really awkward space in the color pie, and that's mostly Ixalan's fault, I think. I Ixalan introduced treasure, but it's still their fault. So like, treasure is not blue at all. It's just not blue. I'm sorry, everyone. It's just it's not blue. But ninjas or not ninjas, pirates. Pirates think it's blue, and that's okay. It's okay for a blue a blue pirate to make a treasure. I don't mind. But blue's power should not be in refunding mana. And then the question is, okay, whose power is in refunding your mana? Well, that's red and green. Treasure is kind of a red and green thing. And you kind of see treasure a little bit more in red and green in MH2. Or maybe you, maybe you don't anymore. Uh, you did when I was working on it. But then, uh, oh, treasure's black now, we think. You know, pirates are black. They make treasure. And then this is like, this is fun. Black's strength in mana generation is a fickle thing. So, you know, green and red, they are by far, red, green, primary mana generation. We know this, we love this. Red, red is great at making temporary mana and um, some like big mana geyser plays, some rituals, whatever. Black, okay, where's Black's history with mana generation? I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. You have to suffer through this. No, no, no problem at all. Loving it. So, yeah, so Black's history of mana generation is very peculiar. It starts with those cards I mentioned earlier. You know, Crypt of Agadine, which is not so old, but Cabal Coffers, right? Cabal Coffers, Dark Ritual. Dark Ritual is the big guy here. A long time ago, Black was like, I care about big mana. You know, Black is a big mana color. It does these rituals. It, you know, has these lands that really hype up its mana. Nowadays, that's not really in Black's color pie. It's it's not about this big mana plays. Or isn't it? I don't know. Like, I look at, you know, even before I was a Black color pie member, I would look at red-black commanders. Uh, Zancha, you know. Zancha's really good if you have a lot of mana because she has a mana sink. What's uh, the Scorpion God? He's really good if you have a mana sink because you know he can put counters on these things you know what's that card cut to ribbons exsanguinate those are really good if you have a lot of mana oh black has a lot of big creatures sometimes that's really good if you have a lot of mana so black you know 
has big creatures because it reanimates a lot of times. So it's really good if you have a lot of mana. And so black kind of its relationship with mana generation is that it it's kind of a distant tertiary. Some of that is um, vestigial. It's from from the old times. It's a legacy. It's a grandfathered in from dark ritual. But we don't we don't like it being strong in, in recent formats for mana generation. And then so some of it is just I think naturally. I don't know why, but black black cards just like having a lot of mana. Maybe all cards like having a lot of mana, and I'm just like fooling myself. But <laughs> no, I just think black cards like having a lot of mana. And then, um, and so this is kind of too much thinking behind why black should have treasure. But I'm the guy to I'm specifically the person who should be doing this too much thinking. Mm-hmm. So then, does treasure fit in black? Well, no, treasures treasures not really black. But here's the things that make me say, yeah, that treasure's black now. (laughs) One, this long and complicated historic mana generation, sure, black can make them treasure. Uh, Two, sacrificing treasure is really fun. To make fodder to sacrifice is a fun thing for black to do. So, hell yeah, you know, let's make, let's let black make fodder sacrifice. Um, if that's more powerful than the mana generation when black does it, so be it. That's cool. We like that. It's a great way for black to interact with the artifacts now that it can sacrifice those. That's cool. We like that. Awesome. So that's two. And then three, it's flavorful. And you see this in um, AFR. In AFR, Adventures from Forgotten Realms, I was working on early vision with Jules and everyone. And uh, we made these cards. They were like, mercenaries or sell swords and like if you cast them with treasure they get a bonus and you see a little bit of that in this set but oh man doesn't that sound so black a hired killer you know and that's that's kind of where i'm coming from of the flavor of it not only do these pirates feel flavorful but like this is my hired killer that's a black card you know that's a black character a black concept a black idea and so in that sense also okay fine black enough treasure what we're getting more hung up on now is making sure that i don't know i think we should have more costs for treasure i think you know like blacks like draw a card lose a life gotta lose the life man it's important i promise mm-hmm. it's important i'm thinking about that with treasure now what if it's like you know you, can, you can't just etb make a treasure you gotta etb make a treasure lose a life or something has to die and then you get a treasure or you have to sacrifice something and you get a treasure. A cost must be paid that's not just mana. So that's how I'm looking at it now. And I don't remember your original question, so I'm sorry about this tangent. <laughs> no worries. Uh, it, it's really interesting to hear your thought process on this. Like, I think fitting it into this sort of existing model of like resource conversion certainly makes oh, yeah. a lot of sense. I think like most Black players or most uh, players who really enjoy playing Black sort of they understand those trade-offs and are, you know, pretty accepting of them generally. So yeah. that if if it means we can get more treasure production, I'm happy to to pay life. But sort of speaking on, I, I want to circle back a little bit to something you you mentioned, like Gonti and the Gonti space, mm-hmm. and that that struck me as something that um, just seemed to be really popular from an outside perspective, like Gonti kind of rocketed into the the top mono black commanders he was in the top 10 for a long time um and i'm wondering what black gameplay styles are are most popular with players because i know that like new players they come into the game and like 
they might not get all the like sacrificing or or life payment type of stuff mm-hmm. in black but just what what tends to resonate most with people in black yeah so uh you kind of nailed the two things that don't resonate with newer players which is the sacrifice and the life payment because why would they give up their life for this thing so uh you know i think black has black has a very strong top line it's uh reanimation and zombies what a cool thing for black to care about also like demons black i think attracts the goths of this world on the flavor axis people are like oh that's really metal that's really hardcore i love demons i love zombies i love vampires i love blood and gross phyrexianized things so people can be attracted on that angle uh there's another angle where it's like oh i'm attracted to hot vampires or cool (laughs) roads hey man hot vampires i think they sell well uh i don't know like people like different aesthetics i think what's so great about magic is there's something that's cool there's something that's gross there's something that's cute it's in the same set of cards you know It's, it's something for everyone but uh uh, yeah, so I think that reanimation, graveyard play, um, there's a certain amount of ruthlessness you get. And I think a lot of people could just be, if you're newer to magic, I think you could be probably pretty coerced by very straightforward removal spells that Black gets. And I think um, there's a there's a psychological aspect to why some people pick up Black, or Black is very invasive. You know, Black, they get in your head and they, you know, I'm, I'm mind rotting you. You discard some cards. I'm milling you. Mill is, I know mill is blue, but, you know, Black shares that. Black has a little bit of mill, but Black shares that kind of aggressive psychological attack with blue, where it's like, I'm playing Black because I want to infiltrate what you're doing and kind of tear it apart, whether that's through removal, whether that's through discard, whether that's through me gaunting you so I could steal and play with your cards. Um, you get to sort of be the heel. Yeah, you get to be the heel. You know, you get to be the heel. You get to enjoy your friend being miserable, um, <laughs> but in a fun way where you're both having fun. Please don't hate me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, love uh, getting that additional explanation. Um, uh, I wanted to also ask about sort of what black effects R&D tends to limit out of concerns they might lead to unfun gameplay. Like some of the... In- you're, you're talking about invasiveness. Like, what are where does R and D draw the line for uh, this? This feels black, but probably net not good for the game. Yeah, there's a few things that come to mind. One of the things is like, yeah, we talked about Gonti stealing your opponent's cards um, a few times, where you exile them, maybe face down, maybe face up. That's not really like. So, uh, it's not uh, it's not really regulated because it's unfun, but that stuff is regulated because well, it's not like unfun in gameplay. It's unfun in dealing with the piles. Like the physical UI of the game is bad when I have separate piles of my opponent's cards and I have to look at them and not have them in my hand or whatever. Uh, I more than other designers because I work on a lot of commander stuff. I try hard to limit myself to like one black steel card per set, because if I don't, I'll just make like three per set because I, I (laughs) I love them. Um, so I try to limit myself because if I make two, people always tell me about it. And then, you know, I recently led a, a full booster set and I was like, huh, this is 
more cards than just a pre-con. I can make like three black steel cards. And I still got comments from my more sensible designers telling me that that maybe is too much. Um, <laughs> another thing, discarding. You know, Commander has this whole taboo space of mechanics with land destruction or hand destruction with discard. And so discarding, it's, it's less about let's not make strong discard, but like let's avoid cards that are the strongest when they're a mind twist. And let's avoid commanders that incentivize you to mind twist everyone. Mind twist being shorthand for easily discard everyone's hand or all your opponent's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, Tiny Bones, I thought, was a very unfortunate card in this space because Tiny Bones is just telling you to discard everyone's hands. That's going to be a miserable game. But the card is so cute. What a cute little guy, you know? Love him. I love Tiny Bones. Um, And I don't think Tiny Bones' release is bad because, you know, I say that we're avoiding these things or safeguarding these things because we think it's an unfun play pattern. But there's a lot of Magic players in the world, a a lot of ways to play Magic. Like, it's fine, you know, if that's what someone wants to do, they can pick that card up and do it. Like, I'm glad to give the degenerate person who I don't want to play against me some content so they can go play against their friends who might enjoy that kind of gameplay style. So, so you know, if something slips through the cracks, I'm not sad about it. But mainly it's like, gaunting stuff too much is annoying in UI, and uh, discarding is just bad game experience. I, I wanted to pivot a little bit to some broader questions um you've experimented with some some really innovative restrictions and drawbacks on on cards printed in the crimson vow commander decks i'm Mm -hmm. thinking of the vampire that comes into play and and blows up artifacts but can't hit things that have mana abilities um or for example um there's just a few other cards in the set that are limiting players options presumably to, to encourage fun um but in in new ways can you tell me about what is inspiring these types of drawbacks um and how do you prevent restrictions or drawbacks from limiting the appeal of a card yeah it's tough um let's talk about the mana ability guy because that was kind of a um a unique case so you know, making these pre-cons, Midnight and Vow, we're kind of like work from a home pandemic area. I, you know, to be straightforward, I'm playing it a little safer in these times because playtesting is different than it used to be and we're still kind of learning. But that card, you know, I wasn't trying to make a strong card. I was more or less experimenting by releasing that card. So it's a vampire. It says when it enters, um, you get to, was it destroy X artifacts where X is the number of vampires you control, but those artifacts yes. couldn't have mana abilities. That's right. Um, originally I was just like, it was just destroying all artifacts without mana abilities. And it wasn't a vampire tribal thing, but I wanted a little bit more vampire presence, tribal or vampire creature type matters presence in the sets. So I'm trying to phase out tribal. Um, in my in my vocabulary, um, so I was trying to have a little bit less or a little bit more vampires matter in the new cards. So I switched it to where it was, but it used to just destroy all artifacts without mana abilities. Kind of the you know that was kind of an experiment I wanted to take. I wanted to see how people would react. I kind of got that it was kind of an ugly restriction 
no one likes thinking about mana abilities. But I also just like, I'm interested in a Shatterstorm that doesn't break my opponent's what is functionally lands. You know, I understand that Signets and, land, and mana rocks need to be interacted with. But I'm kind of really interested in what a card looks like that, you know, gets rid of some problematic artifacts without being functional land destruction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that, that that one, you know, I kind of, when I was making that card, I thought to myself, damn it, I'm in R&D. I'm going to do a little bit of R, you know? And, you know, people didn't really like it. And I thought the card was muddy in a different other ways, but that's the type of card where I tried it out. People didn't respond well. Probably not going to try it out again. Very similar to Red's weird freezing lands thing in uh, Shadows of Innistrad. Uh, interesting. Well, I can I uh, pitch something like a very broad concept to you? You cannot pitch me a card design. You can, not, a card uh, des- not a card design. Very broad. I, I would, if you want to pitch, I would say something without saying any card text. Okay, can do that. I'm, I'm wondering, like, if there's more opportunities to have flavor sort of sell restrictions or drawbacks if it's done consistently. Because, you know, I've been thinking about like illusions and how, you know, people love Phantasmal Dreadmaw or whatever because like the, the flavor of the drawback is so strong. And there are like some restrictions that you all do pretty consistently, like, you know, non-token or exile this spell or, you know, this only triggers once per turn. And I'm just wondering if there's more opportunities to, like, find a flavor for this effect you're doing consistently so that it, like, becomes easier to, like, identify what the card is doing just by the flavor. And also, like, it may even garner, depending on how you flavor it, it could, like, even develop fans the way that, you know, people do like illusions. Yeah, I mean, we have... Obviously, people working on the creative stuff. I think that whenever we can find a flavorful explanation or a consistent fix for a drawback, that's great. You know, we found it. It makes sense. Some of the things you said are trickier to do that. Um, Some of the more useful ones are trickier. Looking at once per turn and uh, non-token. I think those are things that, I mean, nowadays there's so many magic cards. We put... You know, when I'm making cards that say non-token or making cards that trigger once per turn, mainly what I'm trying to do is make a card uh, fun without being infinite combo. Like, I'm trying to make a card not be an infinite combo accidentally with mm-hmm. cards um, while still being really fun gameplay pattern or you know, something like that. And those, I think, are trickier to find. Like, what's the flavor of something doing once, something once per turn? Um, and do I have to think about imposing that restriction every time I want to use that because then if we have that consistency and it comes from the mechanical desire first, then when I have that mechanical desire, I have to think, oh, am I am I required to adapt the flavor of this card? What if it's late in design? You know, what if I just realize there's an infinite combo and I'm trying to add non-token or once per turn to something, but the art's already in? Do I just, you know, whatever, Hail Mary, there's already enough inconsistencies in Magic? But it's just kind of an idea of where those things come from. I think uh, you are, you do raise a good point. You know, illusions are really beloved. I think to some extent, the zombies with decayed, the decayed mechanic was an example of using this nowadays. But, you know, you kind of notice there's not a lot of um, 
mechanics in recent memory that have those drawbacks or consistent mechanical identities that have those drawbacks, which is, it, it's kind of a bummer, but you know, we're just trying to make the most fun game right now. And that's kind of where we, the card developed from what's the most fun first. Of course, that makes perfect sense. I have sort of one more mechanical question. Um, this is also something that came up from Mark Rosewater's Mechanical Color Pie article, and it mentions that uh, discarding as a cost is primary right. in black. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, um, sort of, we've seen, I think, a tiny bit of that with things like the in Modern Horizons 2, we had the, the bone shards, but you can discard a card. You know, we've seen a lot of black cards produce blood in Crimson Vow. But I'm sort of wondering, like, are, is this, what, what, will that typically look like in the future? I feel like black discarding as a cost is often more for like limited balance or more often for like a lower rarity type of thing. And if you look at sort of what sees play in commander, like the red rummaging effects are mm-hmm. extremely popular, like tormenting voice, thrill of possibility have, have seen a lot of faithless looting. I've seen a lot of play over the years um, is black. Uh, are, are we looking to find like black discard outlets that are aimed maybe for, for commander-like formats? Yeah, so I think black has always been primary in this area. I think that red has adopted it more recently, and I certainly think it's a red-black space, dominantly for sure. I will say that the reason that that is new on the Color Pie article, Rosewater's recent article, is that when we, we were working on that as a team, Rosewater asked us all to go and kind of review our colors and suggest changes and alterations. And at the time, it wasn't discard as effect and discard as a cost. It was just discard. You know, what colors are good at discard? And uh, I brought up that I think it's very different what colors are good at discarding their own cards and what colors are good at making other people discard cards. Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, black has looting. That's they're discarding cards technically, but they're not. They don't have mind rot. So those are very different effects. So first of all, that 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 is kind of why this is presented as a new thing is kind of as a separation of that categories into self discard and what I'll call offensive discard. What does black do with discard and discarding this stuff? I think that is kind of you know that we don't use it a ton, partly because red's doing it, and we don't really want to overdo discarding a card to draw a card in black partly because well red is doing it um but uh, there's other stuff where i can do like our black can do my bad like zombie infestation discarding cards to make a zombie uh pack rat discarded a card to make a token um it kind of goes into black's philosophy of resource conversion you know mechanically it's I think black is the best at non-mana resource conversion, and that's a very fun black identity. Flavorfully, it's black is trying to pay any cost it can to get a power output. I'm discarding cards from my hand to get this thing. You know, black madness cards are very popular, stuff like that. Although I will admit to you that there's not a lot of, you know, very notably awesome discard outlets in black. Looting and rummaging and, and red kind of fit that. And black has enough other other ways to use resource conversion, like with sacrificing creatures and such, that it doesn't really like need that many discard outlets. But primarily, you know, if a card is if like if, if there's a set that has no 
graveyard synergy, no discarding synergy, whatever. I think black is the most often card to say, discard a card for a bonus. Mm -hmm. All right. This has been a a really fascinating conversation. Um, Is there anything else about black and commander that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I think I covered it all. I went on a lot of tangents. I talked a lot. Um, (laughs) No worries. But thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show, uh, you know, giving all this insight into uh, what design looks like from the inside and sort of your thought process as you're you're making all these uh, these commander products. And, and actually, I guess I should ask a bit about that while I have you. You know, you've, you've worked on so many of the recent precons. What, what have you learned in the process of, of working on precons so consistently for, for so long? Yeah, I, I've learned a lot, you know, and you can kind of tell by looking at Ikoria Commander. With Ikoria, you know, I was working on the Ikoria set, the main set, for a long time. Like, I was on the vision design and the set design. I kind of was hired on, and when I started working there, I was working on Ikoria Vision, and it was important to me to be on a set all the way through, so I was on it all the way through. And then I started doing Ikoria Commander, part of it because I was a commander player. You know, I was ready to lead a bigger product and I loved Ikoria. So you can look at Ikoria Commander and you can, you know, maybe this is just me being self-critical, but I think you can see the faults in it. I was very ambitious, I think, in some of the deck themes. You can look at the Abzan deck, it cares about keywords. I thought that was very ambitious and I kind of um, threw away a different deck from Vision in order to pursue that. One of the things I've been trying to do in my more recent pre-cons is kind of be a little bit more involved in Vision. Um, sometimes I do the Vision design for pre-cons, which for, for those unfamiliar, there's two parts of the design process. In Vision, we sit around and brainstorm what themes should the deck be, what direction should we go. And in set design, it's mostly building the decks and developing the new cards. Um, in the Vision design, they make new cards, but it's mostly about are these themes viable to even do. So, so in Ikoria, you know, I was ambitious with those set with those themes a little bit. I thought the Teamer Instance deck was a little bit of an oddball. The Keywords deck was an oddball. Um, the Mutate deck was a little bit hard to develop, and the Cycling deck was I thought very safe. Maybe the Cycling deck was was perfect. And then in the new cards in Ikoria Commander, you can see there's a there's there's some great high end cards and there's some great low end cards. There are cards that. I might regret or not regret. I'm not sure. I used to regret Fierce Guardianship, but I don't think I regret it anymore. Um, I think I'm kind of at peace with how the people whose hands it's fallen into are using it. I think I think I, I, I kind of appreciate that gameplay. Um, but certainly I was I was I was a bit afraid at first. And then there are some cards like Glade Muse. You know, if, if you can recite to me exactly what Glade Muse is, I'd give you ten dollars because it's not exciting, it's not particularly green. And, and you know, that card I just think I'd, you know, had a little less love. And as as it goes on, you can see a year later I make Strixhaven Commander, which I think largely is great. You know, the themes I think are all solid in, in that, that set. I think all the themes are solid. I think I stay at home for some of those themes. Blue red spells, you know, let's stay at home. We don't have to get ambitious, but we can do red white artifacts. We can still get novel. And so with that set you can see me uh reach out to novel spaces and stay tame where I need to. There's something old, there's something new. And I think with the new cards, I think every single new card in Strixhaven Commander has a great home and i'm really proud of that set for where everything kind of just shook up and landed 
And now with the, these newer precons I'm developing, the, the landscape of Commander is very, very different. There are so many precons coming out, and we're making so much content for Commander. I'm a lot less concerned about making stuff that's so, so incredibly novel. I want to make precons that are different game experiences than exist, but I'm not, I'm not really trying really hard to make the wackiest deck like the keywords deck was, for example. And then, um, and then I'm not really concerned about overlap as much. I used to be in Kaldheim Commander. I was very upset that the black green elf deck was going to be too close to the black green elf theme in Commander Legends One. Those those were released within two months of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was afraid of that. But as time has gone on and more Commander stuff released, I'm not I'm not as phased by it. I want to provide a different experience, but with Kaldheim, you know, I kind of learned, that's where I kind of learned the old and new lesson because I made this Fortel deck that was kind of kooky. And then the Black Green Elf deck, it was like, we haven't had a Black Green Elf theme in a while. Like, I want to make a deck that teaches a new player the reasons why a veteran loves elves. And that was kind of the goal there. And that's something I try to carry forward. You can kind of see that with um, Midnight Commander, I think. There's a green white deck that is trying to do this weirdo extra power or three powers thing the coven mechanic mm-hmm. or maybe it's called something else i don't remember no um, coven yeah you're on it great it used to be called like festival it was, uh, or something like that and then uh the black or the blue black zombies deck is just a return to like you know again i want to teach newer players in the past three years or so why their friend who's been playing for a long time loves zombies they might not know you know why why do people keep playing blue black zombies decks well here try this out fall in love with this, this, you know, we know this is good. Let's, let's do that with a spin on it. And the spin there, of course, was that that was a blue black zombie deck that cared a little bit more about sacrifice rather than reanimation. Um, so those are, those are kind of my big lessons, you know, kind of finding my scope of ambition, finding my scope of audience. Uh, I think I've been doing a lot better on new card generation, trying to figure out where the new cards go, where the audiences go, stuff like that. It, yeah, it feels like, um, and this is probably related to the shift to such a frequent release schedule of Commander Precons, but it feels like the cards in the, the more recent Precons are, the new cards are more focused on the theme as opposed to, uh, you know, older Commander Precons mm-hmm. seem to have more things that were just like, I want to inject this into the format rather than I'm, I'm adding, the, I'm patching a hole in this specific deck. Yeah, I don't think we need to try to inject stuff. We make so many cards collaterally that, like, if there's, like, a hole, it's going to be filled. So so we're trying to make kind of, at least my philosophy is to make more specific cards. Like, there are cards, you know, there's always, like, oh, I'm making a vampire deck. Well, you know, there's one, like, madness card in that deck. And that's not for vampire decks. That's for, like, some discard decks or whatever. So sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, here's the theme. There's a tangential theme that I'll make a card or two that fits in a broader net like oh here's my black green life gain strixhaven deck i need to make some mono black life gain deck or, or liking cards and some mono green life gain cards so like my white black deck can go play this or my green white deck can go play this so there's some stuff there where like you know i'm not injecting into m- this specific deck but i'm definitely not making staples i think a really good example to make ramp cards that are like three mana and do something else Overcrowded Crypt. You know, Midnight Clock is kind of the example, but I cursed a mirror in Overcrowded Crypt. 
maybe they're closer to ubiquitous, but they're certainly only in their colors. And it's debatable whether or not they're on their raw power level stronger than two mana mana rocks. They're really fun. And then like in a Kaldheim commander, I don't remember its name, but there's a three mana spell that like looks at the top few cards of your library and gets a land onto the battlefield and an elf into your hand. Uh, I'm not sure people got it, but like that was me saying like, this is cultivate except instead of drawing a land, it draws an elf if you're playing an elf. (laughs) And so for you're playing just any elf deck, you know, you can play cultivate, you can play Kadama's reach and then you can play this. It ramps and draws you a card, but instead of a land, the card's an elf which in a lot of senses is just another land because that's what an elf is a lot of the time. And so, yeah, there, there's a shift towards that kind of specificity that we like. And I think that's like a move towards, you know, sustainability. And also it, uh, a lot of people come to me or not come to me, but I talk to a lot of people about commander, obviously. And sometimes they'll express that they're tired of this prescribed, 100 cards or whatever like oh you know i dislike that my first 20 cards are accounted for and i know like i can make that like elf cultivate thing and that people aren't going to like replace their cultivates with it but uh i think as the card pool gets bigger and there are more and more options and people identify with certain identities and mechanical themes and visual themes that uh you know i think there will be an elf deck eventually that you know, they won't be able to play Cultivate and they will play my little elf ramp thing and that'll be sweet. I'm curious, uh, how much um, how much do you touch? You mentioned that you designed Lind. Are, are all of the um, sort of set booster exclusive commander cards, are, are those also coming from you or, or how does that, um, how do you feel yeah, so the, the design process for those? All of the set booster exclusives starting with midnight midnight hunt those are uh under the purview of the commander team for that given set so for midnight hunts uh crimson vow and neo kamagawa i will have done those set booster cards um and i learned a lot trying to go through those because those are kind of really tricky cards to design like i want to make content for commander but i shouldn't just make eight legendary creatures or whatever. So how do I make cards that feel like commander in midnight hunt? You know, I mean, like there was like the flashback that was reduced by your commander. Some of the idea there is like, Oh, the new player who plays magic will open a booster pack. And you know, some of the time they'll get this commander card in their set booster or whatever. And they'll be like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't the set I opened. (laughs) <laughs> and then they'll read it and they'll be sometimes they'll be like oh this is a cool legendary creature that i can build a deck around or maybe they don't don't know what commander is but they just open this card that says oh it has flashback but it's reduced for what my commander's cost is what's a commander you know i'm gonna go ask my friend what commander is or maybe i'll look it up what's commander oh it's commander's this sweet social format i've never heard of well sounds fun i'm in you know Maybe I'll go buy that commander deck. So that's some of the ideas that like commanders are a very popular format. It'd be great if booster packs had that kind of stuff for commander. And then be great if, you know, people, oh, newer players love booster packs, right? I think everyone loves booster packs, but newer players are more often to purchase them, open them, have that delightful experience. And then it's great to have something in there be an entryway into commander. Cause I don't think anyone's like 
going to read an ad card and be like, oh, that's what commander. Well, some people are, but I think having a card that says commander on it is going to draw you into that format more often than an ad card that ex- tries to explain to you what commander is. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, like it's m- my perception from the outside. It seemed like um, Lind, for example, was a card that, you know, would be really challenging to fit into the main set because there's, you know, it's not something that's going to be relevant and limited. Um, and also seemed like I could see some challenges with building a precon around it. Like what are, what are you looking to, what are the constraints and on these set booster exclusive cards relative to the commander precon exclusive commander cards? Yeah. I mean, like that's kind of a lot of it, right? Like if I made a legend that I could just make a precon out of, I'm just going to make a precon out of it, you know? Unless I have, like, a really strong reason for the precons to be exactly what they are. But if I made a legend with a precon around it, you know, in the set boosters, I would. Lind, yeah, it's tricky to make a precon around. It doesn't really... If I, if I like, give a newer player or an intermediate player or something a Lind and they say, hey, here's a Lind precon, go play with your friends, they, they probably won't necessarily understand how to pilot that deck. It's kind of a kooky card. Um... So, so that's some of it. I mean, Umbris, the Vow, the legendary creature in the Vow set boosters was a little bit different. But with that, I kind of just approach it with like, you know, Lind came from a space of like, hey, there isn't a curse commander. That's really supple space. Let's do it. Umbris came from more from like, hey, you know, we're doing all this horror movie stuff. What if we do something that cares about horrors and nightmares? And some of the time I really wanted to care about Eldrazi too, because I thought that was really funny that Eldrazi was a <laughs> horror and a nightmare kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And that's why it does this exile stuff. It's because I thought blue black processing was super nice or super neat. Mm-hmm. So like if I built a number stack, I'm going to do processing, even though there's not a lot of really stellar processors, but uh, you know, that, that came from there. Basically it's like, what's a cool, you know, top down movie monster, top down horror movie monster thing that's kind of what I was going for was nightmares, horrors. How do I make that cool? Um, in the future, it, it is kind of, kind of follow that line. It's like, what's a legend that we can't really make a precon out of for one or more reasons. And that doesn't, that it, the main set isn't serving this right now. And let's make something based off of that. I think, you know, there's a, there's a, the, the mythic legend in uh Neo Kamigawa for the set. It's really, I like it. I'm going to build a deck out of it. That's for sure. I think it's cool. I think people will like it. Awesome. Well, I am excited to see it. I can't wait to to get a taste of that new set booster content. I've been really enjoying um uh I've been really enjoying your work lately. The the precons have been really exciting and the the addition of more commander cards, like finding more space to get these into players' hands. That's great too. And and thank you for sort of sharing your your process, like how you design these cards. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff, you know, and I haven't been working this week, so I haven't haven't had anywhere to talk about it. Uh, well, I really appreciated you uh, coming on the show. Uh, if any listeners, like, you know, their interest is piqued by something you've said, how can they get in touch with you if they'd like to continue the conversation? Yeah, if you'd like to yell at me on Twitter, my handle is at Corey J. Bowen. That's C-O-R-E-Y-J-B-O-W-E-N. Please be gentle. Uh but uh, I will respond to you, maybe. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I promise you all our listeners are going to be on their 
best behavior, right, fellas? Uh, but thank you again for, for coming on the show. Really appreciate you explaining your your view on black and and sort of how things work in in wizards. So thanks so much. And uh, well, I guess uh, this is still probably going to be released during the holidays. So happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays, everyone. Hey, everybody, it's Zach. I'm popping in at the end here. So this was the last of the interviews we recorded over the break. Um, We wanted to make sure that Wizards and Corey and everybody could listen to it, make sure they liked it all. Um, But uh, as maybe you heard last time, they're on break. And that's totally cool because we want the people who make the game to have clear, good heads on their shoulders. So uh, thank you to everybody who made this happen. Thank you to Blake. Thank you for Corey in particular for agreeing to meet with Nick or virtually meet with Nick and interview. Uh, this interview kicked butt and uh, that was incredibly helpful and the extra little bit of commentary about commander decks at the end was something that uh, as the editor I was pretty excited to listen to and I hope the listeners uh, I hope you all listeners also are uh, some cool insights so we've got some more stuff coming Uh, I will talk about it as we have more info about it but this year is going to be pretty cool for us and for magic in general we're going to release some more just of our own episode soon, and then we're going to get to making uh, the spoiler stuff as you come to see, come to know and love, and then we'll just try and get back to whatever we're doing. We're probably not going to cover Double Masters 2 because it's a reprint set, and we don't really usually talk about that. So thank you all for listening. We all appreciate you very much. We hope your new year is going well, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>